Hi, this is episode 59 of K-Ray Reads to You. Today we have chapter 9 of The Apple Stone by Nicholas Stewart Gray. Chapter 9 is called Stupid as Stone. We were out of favor. As soon as we got back from school next day, Dad confronted us with a list of our crimes and demanded reparation. There was the cucumber frame Ragnar had broken, and our protests that we weren't responsible were dismissed. There was the feather boa that I'd burned in the stove and that stank the house out, and some grumbles about impudence and trespassing from Mr. Dobbs when Dad met him in the village. "'Either you've all developed the mentalities of hooligans,' said Father, "'or you haven't enough to do.' "'I said we'd had too much to do. "'Not the right sort of things, perhaps,' said he. "'So here's something useful for a nice change. "'It rained during the night, "'and I'd like you to have a go at rolling the side lawn. "'Flatten all those worm-casts. "'You can take turns,' he added kindly.' As he went away, we eyed one another despondently. "'That's it, then,' said Douglas. "'It'll take till dark, so there won't be much time left over for the apple-stone. "'Anyway, we'll be far too exhausted with rolling the grass,' I said. "'It's an awful job with that heavy old roller.' And Nigel suddenly announced that he had an idea. "'What is it?' we asked suspiciously. "'If you're going to be like that, I won't tell,' said he. "'Oh, I know you're still holding it against me about those beastly butterflies,' he added crossly. "'And I think you should prove you trust me by just giving me the apple-stone and letting me do this on my own. Do you agree?' We said we all agreed not to trust him. "'Give a dog a bad name,' he said." He turned away rather pathetically, with drooping shoulders. I was deeply sceptical of this performance, but it touched Joe's heart, of course. She asked if he was quite sure he had a good idea. He nodded, looking as though butter wouldn't melt in his mouth. "'Oh, let him have the stone,' said Josephine. "'No,' said everyone else except Nigel. "'Oh, all right,' said our cousin, coming off it. I'll tell you, as you're all so beastly suspicious. He told. It did sound like quite a good idea, under the present circumstances. Not very exciting, but at least it would save us a lot of wear and tear. I handed him the stone. <sighs> we ought to come with you, I told him. But you've made such a point of being trustworthy, so we're taking a chance. "'Just remember that you're on your honor, only to do what you've said you'll do.' "'He grinned disarmingly, and vanished into the rhododendrons. "'The others eyed me questioningly. "'One can only hope,' I said. "'It was a good thing our parents had gone out to see some friends. "'It was a good thing Mrs. Chug was giving old Arthur his tea in the kitchen.' <sighs> It was a very good thing no one was passing the gate when Nigel's activities commenced. We heard the start of them. There was a great thumping crash from the middle distance, and a thud that shook the ground. We looked at one another. Ragnar barked. Then a slow rumbling sound, 
a scrunching of gravel, and a deep-toned voice talking were all coming toward us down the drive. "'Tis a pity about that bit of wall,' said the soft Devonshire, De, Devonian, Devonian. "'Tis a pity about that bit of wall,' said the soft Devonian drawl. "'But there, t'was naught but brick. What chance has a few bricks against a solid lump like me? If I'd known t'was only brick, I'd ha' tried to jump.' "'What has he done?' said Joe. I shrugged. He said, the garden roller. Around the clump of shrubs came our cousin. Beside him, trundling slowly and ponderously, leaving a deep dent in the gravel drive, came one of the stone balls from the gate posts. We awaited them in grim silence, except for Ragnar's growling. As he neared us, Nigel shouted that the roller wasn't in its shed. "'but he could hardly be heard above the noise of the rolling ball, "'and he tried again. "'And this is just as good as a roller any day,' he finished. "'No one replied. "'He stopped with the ball a few feet away, "'and we stared at them in cold disapproval. "'Nigel began to scowl. "'You needn't look like that,' he snapped. "'I said I'd make a roller come alive, and I have.' "'You're a total viper,' I said. "'Ragnar then attacked the stone ball, "'and we sent him back to the house. "'We didn't want him to break his teeth. "'Then we t returned to Nigel. "'What happened to the wall?' I demanded. "'That was my fault entirely,' said the stone ball. "'I came down a mite too quick, "'rolled off me pedestal onto the wall, "'and t'was naught but brick.' It gave way, and it crumbled under my weight. T'will need some repair. "'Dad will be pleased,' I said bitterly. "'Ah, well,' it said, "'twill be all the same in a hundred years' time.' "'Very likely,' I said, "'but meanwhile—' "'Meanwhile we've got the grass to roll,' said Nigel. "'The ball will do it.' "'Anything you like, my dears.' "'the ball assured us in its deep tones. "'So long as it hasn't too active, "'I've never been one for rushing here and yon at high speed. "'All the time I lay deep in the ground I never stirred, "'only when them great stones above shifted "'and forced me deeper into the hillside. "'And you could scarce describe that as dashing about. "'The huge thing, it stood two feet high at its highest curve, and must have weighed about six hundred pounds, was sinking slightly into the soft grass at the edge of the lawn. I looked at it a bit hopelessly and said, "'Can you roll the grass? I mean, flatten out all those hummocks and things.' The ball chuckled deep inside itself, and said it could flatten anything. "'Could carry on, then,' said Nigel. "'If you'll be so kind,' added Joe quickly." Then she said, in a defensive voice, that she wasn't being prim, but merely polite. "'Which way shall I go?' asked the ball. "'Up and down, or side to side?' "'Dad usually makes the mower lines up and down,' said Joe. 
"'Up and down it is,' said the ball cheerfully. "'It trundled away from us over the grass. "'Dad won't like those lines,' I said. "'There were furrows several inches deep "'in the soft ground where the ball had run. "'We watched it moodily for a while. "'It came back, leaving a beautifully straight track "'alongside the first, and it turned and went away again, "'saying, "'I'm enjoying meself. "'There's something about this movin' business.' "'We'd better go and get the roller,' said Joe. "'The lawn's going to look like corrugated iron.' "'I told you the roller's gone,' said Nigel. "'I did l look, you know. "'Uncle forgot he's lent it to someone, I expect.' "'The ball came back. "'It was moving faster now, as if it was getting used to it. "'Twon't take long, my dears,' it said, "'before I reckon to finish the grass for you.' As it rolled away, I said I reckoned it was right. "'It must stop,' said Joe firmly. "'Nigel, go and tell it to stop at once.' "'Why me?' "'It's your silly fault that it ever started,' said my sister, cross with him. "'And we're the next silliest for trusting you.' Nigel went red. He said he was always blamed for everything that went wrong. I said he usually was to blame. And Douglas said it wasn't entirely Nigel's fault that he was so evil. It was his ancestry. Nigel fell on him, shouting that talking of ancestors. "'Stop it,' ordered Joe. "'You're not to say it, either of you.' They were hovering on the edge of saying the forbidden thing. But at that moment I didn't care if they slew each other. I looked at the five latest grooves in the lawn and the happily rolling ball. I moved toward it to beg it at least to pause. There was a scream of fury from Missy, and I turned back to see what had happened now. Out of the welter of general abuse it emerged that she'd tried to interfere in the clan war, and someone had hit her on the nose with his elbow. She stood hopping with rage and pain, clutching the said nose tenderly with one hand, and smacking at her cousins with the other. They had fallen apart, and were glaring at her. "'You punched me!' she shrieked. "'No, we didn't. You shouldn't have butted in. I hate you, both of you.' "'You did it yourself,' said Nigel hotly. "'You put your Sicily nose on his elbow.' "'Yours,' snapped Douglas. "'You both did it,' moaned Missy, "'and my nose is broke right off.' "'Joe reassured her, "'and I told her not to make such a fuss. "'If you were all that injured,' I said, "'you'd be a lot quieter. "'You've just lost your temper.' "'Oh, she is hurt,' protested Joe. "'Her nose is all pink.' "'She's done that herself, "'ringing it about,' said Douglas.' Missy kicked his ankle, and he yelled. I said, would everyone kindly stop being so stupid? And I went on. We've trouble enough without a lot of tiresome squabbling. Missy marched over to an old mounting block and sat on it with a sullen thump. Joe went to soothe her, and Douglas said he personally wouldn't make such a fuss if he were being murdered. I said, how did he know? He'd never been murdered. "'Yet,' 
said Nigel darkly. During all this the ball had continued its fell work, and the grass was beginning to show it in a big way. I left my cousins and ran across to the ball and tried to tell it politely that it had now done enough. "'Tesn't finished yet, love,' it said. "'But we only wanted half the lawn rolled.' "'Wouldn't look tidy,' said the ball, without slackening pace. "'I looked helplessly at Douglas, who had joined me. "'Then I said, "'It shows lack of imagination to have too tidy a garden.' "'I'd read this somewhere, but the ball didn't accept the bait. "'That's not what you said at the start,' it said, rolling busily. "'You said do the grass. "'Your mind goes in fits and starts, don't it?' "'Half the time it don't go at all,' said Douglas. "'What, is the child stupid?' said the ball. "'Yes,' said my cousin gleefully. "'As stupid as stone?' "'Ye—' Douglas faltered and stopped. "'Ah, bless you, I'm not offended by the saying,' said the ball kindly. "'It did a neat bit of cornering, and went on talking. "'I've heard em say it time and again, up there on me pedestal above the roadway. "'I hear a lot that's not always meant for another's hearing. "'Stupid as stone, they say, and I laughs to meself, for I'm not all that stupid, you know.' "'No,' I said feebly. "'Oh, no, no, of course you're not. "'But couldn't you stop now? "'It's getting on toward five, and the light's going.' "'I've no eyes to be blinded by the dark.' "'But we'll have to go in.' "'I'm not needin' your help, my dears. "'I'm enjoying meself, and when I've done this little chore, "'I'll go and do the front lawn.' "'Oh, no!' I moaned. "'You leave it all to me,' said the ball, "'for I'm very far from stupid, really.' Nigel came rushing over the grass, caught his foot in one of the long furrows, and fell with a crash. As he struggled up, he said breathlessly, "'You'd better come. Missy snatched the apple-stone from me, and she's rushed off in a huff.' "'What?' I shouted." We started to run. "'She did swear a solemn vow not to use the stone more than once a day,' I panted, "'and we've got the stone ball, for better or worse, as today's effort.' Douglas laughed scornfully. He said it would be mad to expect Missy to remember a little thing like a vow if she'd lost her temper. "'Remember when she let those sheep into the drawing-room?' he panted, "'because Mrs. Chugg scolded her for going in with muddy feet, "'and when she ate all the strawberries in the garden, "'because you said she'd be sick if she ate one more? "'You were right,' he added. "'I begged him to stop. "'He'd made my blood run cold. "'And then we found Joe by the gate into the little walled garden. "'She's in here,' said my sister. "'Come on, Jeremy.' "'You two, she snapped at our cousins, "'can stay here and stop her if she comes out. "'It's your fault that she's being so naughty.' "'They looked wronged and innocent. "'They've had a lot of practice with this look. "'My sister and I went into the square of garden, "'which was darkened now by its high stone walls. "'We could see the straight rows of raspberry canes, "'trimmed and pruned for next year's fruiting.' 
peaches and special pears spread eagled against the walls, melon and cucumber frames, their glass tops reflecting the last of the light, but no sign at all of Missy. Hiding in the tool shed, silly brat, I said. It was pitch dark in there. I knocked over a seed drill and barked my shin, and Joe hit her head on a hanging watering can with a clang that made me jump. And then, from somewhere outside, came a crash far noisier than either of ours, a grinding sort of crash, followed by the disastrous tinkle of falling glass. Jemima! cried Joe. We raced to where Douglas and Nigel were standing by the frames, watching the stone ball slowly emerge from one of them. Three little glass frames, said Douglas, sitting in the sun. Ragnar smashed the other one, and now there's only one. Sorry, said the ball. It rolled onto the path, mumbling that it had skidded. And now you'll all be saying as stupid as stone, it added sadly. No one answered, and it gave a great sigh. Slow, it said. I'm slow by nature, you see, but not, not truly stupid. I can recognize the seasons as they pass us over the rain, the wind, the sun, and the snow. I sits upon my pedestal by the roadside, and I know the ways of them that walk below. I've heard em laugh, and I've heard em cry. I hear the beasts in their joy or their trouble. T'other night there was a little cat wailing that was lost, poor soul. And I heard how her cry changed when a woman came and called her home. I know when the cows go by to their milking, and the sound of all them new-fangled machines. I'm not quite stupid. Of course you're not, said Joe kindly. We'd been listening, fascinated, to the stone's account of its life on the gatepost. But now we heard something else, a patter of quick footsteps. And the gate was unguarded. Look out! There goes Missy! I shouted. The little brute must have been hiding under the drooping branches of the old fig tree in the corner. Now we'd let her get past us, to the gate, and she was away. As I pelted after her across the paddock, a hanging clothesline caught me across the throat, and I sat down, choking. The others were well ahead of me as I got up and followed. And just behind me came a soft, trundling sound, and I knew what was following me. The ball and I caught up with my relatives by the door of the barn, but not with all my relatives. Missy wasn't there. She's inside the barn, said Joe crossly, and she's bolted the door. Well, she can't shut the big doors, I said. All the same, when we got around to the other side of the barn, they were shut. A heavy chain was drawn through two round holes in the doors and padlocked. We stood staring irritably at the great, black-painted, sun-blistered double doors, each big enough to admit a tractor. "'They bang about when the wind blows,' said Nigel. "'One of the men told me old Dobbs must have fastened them.' He then announced that he'd climb into the hayloft window. I said, "'Where was the ladder?' 
he said there was a lot of ivy that would be strong enough to bear his weight. He was wrong about this. After the yell and the thump, he came back limping slightly and said he'd broken his neck. If you had, you'd be dead, said Douglas. He said only his courage kept him going. Missy! yelled Joe, ignoring all this. Missy, come and open the side door. You're very naughty, and I'm angry with you. I was going all around inspecting the lower windows. Most were so cobwebbed and stuck that they obviously hadn't been opened for years, and they didn't now. A few others showed a narrow slit, but wouldn't go any farther, however hard I pushed and pulled. Then we all went back to the small side door and shouted at Missy. Threats and abuse and bribes brought no reply. Oh, let's leave her, I snarled. She'll get bored with sulking by herself, and she can't come to any harm in the barn. She knows every inch of it. But she's set fire to it, said Nigel. At this moment, Missy began to howl for help. Open the door, then, I howled back. I can't get to it, came a panic-stricken wail from the barn. I'm up in the hayloft, and the ladder fell over, and I can't get down. It's all smoky, and I'm going to be on fire. Joe, Jeremy. I shouted that it was her own fault. Joe said this was no time for a lecture. Our cousins hammered on the door and threw themselves against it, but it didn't stir. We rushed around the barn again. We flung ourselves in unison on the great doors, first one and then the other. They creaked and groaned and swung a little, but the lock and chain held fast. And through the gaps and knot-holes in the planking and from underneath, there came some eddies of thin and acrid smoke. A calf bawled suddenly, and Joe gave a frantic cry. "'Oh, the animal's in there! And Missy! Missy!' She then went quite mad, hitting at the doors with her fists. Nigel joined her. Douglas said he was going to get a ladder from the stackyard. I said I was going to get Mr. Dobbs. And out of the twilight came a deep and rumbling voice. "'Stand aside, the lot of you, and give me room.' We'd forgotten the ball. It stood about twenty feet behind us, rocking backward and forward very slightly. And we, dazed with the horror of what was happening, hearing Missy's frenzied cries, and the equally terrified bawling of the calves in their box-stalls, and the sudden high whicker of terror from the cart-horse, we did what the ball told us. We fell back to the sides of the doors, coughing in the fumes of the burning straw, and with tears, from the same fumes, no doubt, pouring down our faces." and the ball launched itself against the great doors of the barn. It struck like a huge stone cannonball. There was a splintering crash, a billow of released smoke, and one door was swinging inward, half-wrenched from its hinges. The lock and chain had been ripped bodily out of the second door, which now had a ragged broken hole in its lower planks. Over the scattered shards of wood we plunged, like maniacs. "'I'll get Missy,' I croaked. 
I found the fallen ladder and propped it against the side of the loft and went up faster than I've ever climbed a ladder before or since. And Missy cast herself on me at the top and nearly pitched us both down again. I could hear Nigel and Douglas dragging the great broken doors farther open and Joe shooing the cattle out of the box stalls. In their rush for safety, they almost mowed down our cousins to judge from the boys' yells. I got Missy down the ladder with some difficulty, for we were all rather shaky, including the ladder, and I ran with her into the open air. There was a great plunging and neighing from inside the barn, and I heard Joe shouting soothing remarks like, "'Steady, you old fool! It's all right, Bob! Come on, you great clown!' I tried to go and help her, but Missy was clinging to me and sobbing. The horse shrieked with terror, and then, through the billowing smoke and the crackle and glow of the fire, I saw him come out. Joe was clutching his headstall on one side of his tossing head, and Nigel on the other. He was almost lifting them both into the air, wild with fear as he was, but they brought him out. And behind them came Douglas, coughing helplessly, with the barn cat clawing at him as he ran with it to safety. And now, from the farm across the fields, I heard men shouting. Joe and my cousins had opened a gate and chased all the animals into a field beyond. They closed the gate and stood panting as I came up with Missy. We sagged there, shaken, soot-streaked, and exhausted, and the ball rolled up in front of us. "'Shall I finish the lawn now?' it said. "'Oh, you—you you saved! You're— Marvelous, gasped Joe brokenly. "'We'll try to thank you later,' I told it. "'If—if if you could just very sweetly go out of sight for a little while.' It said affably that it would wait in the garden, and went trundling off. It was just in time, as the men from the farm arrived. Mr. Dobbs was with them. He saw us by the gate, and he shouted, "'What did we mean by setting fire to his barn?' Then they all rushed to connect a hose and start coping with the burning straw. And Douglas said, let's all slip away very quietly. I said we must stay and face the farmer. Missy should stay, said he. She did it, not us. No, cried Missy. Then Mr. Dobbs came over to us, breathing hard and scowling. Joe began to say we were all very sorry, and Missy said loudly and earnestly, "'It wasn't me. I promise it wasn't. I did bolt the door. I was hiding from the others. But the smoke was there already, only I didn't think it would get bigger.' Mr. Dobbs was looking at her cross closely. "'Oh, I promise,' she said again. "'I wouldn't. Not ever. Not with Bob and the—' "'I've never made a fire, not since I burned my hand on the poker. I don't like fires. And the others only came in to get me because I was hiding.' Mr. Dobbs nodded. "'Well,' he said, "'I believe you, love. It must have been that damp lump of straw got over hot and blazed up suddenly. It could have been smoldering for days. Now don't upset yourself,' he told Missy. "'I'm very glad you was playing hide-and-seek there, my dear. I'm very grateful to all of you.' And he turned to us. "'I don't mind a bit of damage. There isn't all that much, anyway, as it appears. But I tell you my heart was in my mouth for the beasts.' "'and I saw you get em out. "'Very well done, too. 
I don't know how you managed to smash that great hole in the door. It wasn't just us, said Joe. It was... Now, now, my dear, no one's going to blame you. Far from it. And I guess what you used was that big lump of timber lying by the side. Just like a battering ram, eh? Said nice Mr. Dobbs, grinning. I wish I'd seen you do it. It wasn't... began Joe. Well, we're sorry for everything we've done to annoy you, I said quickly, and we'll never go near the barn again, or trespass in your fields. He laughed. Over in the barn the fire had died into a steam and black ash. The men were forking a mess of wet straw outside. After this, said Mr. Dobbs, you'm welcome to come and go as you please, anywhere, any time. I won't check you, not unless your great big dog goes bothering the sheep again. He didn't last time, I said. I was with him. So you said, lad. It must have been another of those great Danes that are so thick on the countryside round these parts that I saw with my own eyes. He'd never have hurt them, I said. That's as may be, said the farmer. However, you make sure he don't do it again, and you'll hear no more from me on the subject. In fact, you come up to the farm when you feel like it, and my wife'll give you some homemade jam and cream to your tea, and I'll have a word with your father and tell him what you've done today. Oh, no, said Douglas in horror. But Mr. Dobbs just nodded and went off to see to his barn and his beasts. We went to find the ball. Even in the twilight, it was easy to follow its path across the rose garden, and we found it by the gate, just under its own post. I can't get back up there, it said. I'm not rightly built for jumping. Never mind, said Joe. You'll be back soon, safe and sound. I hope so, it said. It was nice, all this action for a change, but I love best to sit and listen to the world going by beneath me. Well, you just stay here a while, I said, and not go off anywhere. It said it had no intention of moving. I know you'll be in trouble if anyone sees me on the go, it told us. It come to me sudden. I'm not that stupid, you see. No one will ever say as stupid as stone when I'm around, I assured it, from my heart. It gave one of its deep, soft chuckles. Ye slow, it said. Yes, slow, perhaps, but not truly stupid. We left it at last and went back to the house, wondering how to break it to Dad about the other cucumber frame, and the roses, and the broken wall, and the corrugated grass, and a dreadful thought came to me. Where was Mr. Fox standing? "'when he was making sparks from that tinder-box in the barn,' I said. "'We walked in silence. "'Then Nigel said, "'Straw does do sp "'Then Nigel said, "'Straw does do spontaneous combustion, sometimes.' "'We walked on. "'Could someone take the apple-stone?' said Missy, in a very small voice. It's so heavy. And that's the end of chapter 9. I'll see you next time.